You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Amen. Well, I'm excited to share with you this morning with the time that we have, we have left. And I, I believe it's, it's really comforting as a, as a pastor and a communicator of the Word of God when you know that you've heard the Lord, <clears throat> when you know you've heard Him in your preparation and time. And it's like, is it that simple? Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm excited to share with you. But before we do, let's just put our attention on the Lord and give him this moment and set our eyes on him, our focus on him. Jesus, you're so good. We love you, Lord. There is no one like you. You stand alone in beauty and wonder and power and might. And we put our eyes on you. We put our focus on you. And Lord, we declare that you are everything and you're all we want. Jesus, I ask in this moment of time, Lord, for your presence just to continue to move powerfully as you already have been. Open our hearts, open our eyes to hear, to see you, to receive from you. Lord, that you would make us more like you. You would stir hunger in our hearts for more of you. And you would set people free today. We thank you, Jesus. We give you all glory and praise in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Sorry. I get emotional often talking about Jesus. He is really good. I want to just simply talk to you today with the title of Lift Up Your Eyes. Lift Up Your Eyes. I want to just read some scriptures for you to start off today. In Psalms 123, verse 1, says this, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. We could just stop right there. (laughs) Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then John four thirty-five. this is Jesus speaking, and he says this, Do you not say, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Amen. Come on. There is a battle raging right now, and it's a battle for your attention, and it's a battle for your focus. It's a battle for what you will fix your eyes on. There's so many things going on right now in our world that are wanting to distract you, that are wanting to consume you and captivate you and cause you to be just enamored with all the storm of life that is raging in our world today. There is so many things that could get your attention right now. And Jesus is simply inviting us and inviting you to an, into a place of lifting up your eyes and focusing on him. Last week, my brother and I spoke together of a prophetic passage that Grandma LaVon gave us a couple months ago and 
really just tried to briefly share into it. And one of the past, one of the parts of it we talked about was, it starts off saying, don't have any images or any idols before me. Don't worship anything else. Have no, no images that you make that try to represent me. That we talked about that God is the invisible God, but he invites us in, his invi- in, in being invisible. It's an invitation for us to see Jesus because he was the one we were always meant to see. Jesus, it says in Colossians 1, is the image of God. If you want to know who God is and what he looks like, you look at Jesus. You look at who he is and how he is revealed in the scriptures. You look at him and experiencing his presence. And being with him. Because you see, images or idols are the worship or the captivation of our attention on natural things. Idols were made of natural things. Wood, stone, gold, silver. They were made of natural elements. And when people would worship them, when people still do worship them, they are essentially getting captivated and consumed with natural things. You cannot maybe worship a graven image, a carved image, but yet still worship an idol of a natural thing in your world and in your life. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's different things that you are really consumed with. Maybe they're just things that distract you, social media, entertainment, sports, whatever. And it it might not be something that you can physically form and put in front of you, but it has captivated your attention and it is of this natural earth. And Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look at me. Pursue me. Seek me. We talked about in that passage last week that there's a section in there that talks about God desiring for his people to be his dwelling place. That he desires to abide, to walk among his people and dwell with them. In order for that to happen, it's when we inside desire to have our attention on him as well. He's looking at us and wanting to walk among us and be with us. But when we fix our eyes, our attention, the the focus of our lives around him and on him, then all of a sudden there is this meeting of the two and a dwelling takes place where you're with him and he's with you and everything else changes. I can just see and picture the, 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 the world that we are in today and all of the things that are trying to captivate your attention. What is going to happen in our nation? Who's going to be the president? And what is that president going to do? And what is going on with our government? Are we actually still in a democracy? Uh, what, what is it going to happen? Is, what is Governor Inslee going to mandate today? What is he going to actually require of people to do? What are all these things that are going to happen? When is 2020 ever going to be over? When is COVID ever going to be over? I'll tell you, 2020 is going to be over on December 31st. Praise the Lord. But we, we are consumed with all these things. What's, am I going to get laid off again? Uh, what's going to happen in my family? Should I celebrate Thanksgiving with my extended family? What should I do about this? What should I do about that? And I just see Jesus and his face is not troubled. He is not worried. He is not fearful. He is laughing. He is smiling. He is full of joy. (laughs) In Psalms chapter 2, it says, The one who sits enthroned in heaven laughs at all the tries and plots of man, at all the schemes and devices and and thoughts that man could try to contrive to cause things to happen in the world. He just sits on his throne and laughs at them and says, You guys are crazy. Just look at me. 
<laughs> Some of you just need to turn off everything and look up. Look up from the phone. Look up from the laptop. Look up from the TV. Look up from the newspaper. Look up from whatever it is. I mean, if you still read the newspaper, you know, on a paper, but God bless you. In Genesis chapter 15, there's a man named Abram who later became Abraham, the father of many nations, and who was called a friend of God. But in Genesis 15, there's a moment where God appears to him at his tent, and he says, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. And Abram immediately says, But God, you haven't given me a son. How can you make me into a great nation which you have promised me when I don't even have a son and and my inheritance is going to go to my servant and he's he's the heir of my estate? How can this be when I don't have a son yet? And he's in his tent and he's having this conversation with the Lord. And this is what God tells him to do. Abram, get out of your tent and look up to the stars. And try to count the stars. That's how many of your descendants you will have. He was all consumed with what was going on in his tent. So to speak, the lack of a child coming from being in his tent. If you can put those things together. And God says, get out the tent and look up. Lift up your eyes. This is how many sons you're going to have. This is what we need to do. Abram did it. He says he looked up and he believed God and it was considered righteousness unto him in that moment. But later, his wife came to him, says, it ain't working. We got to try something else in our own strength. Here's Hagar. Maybe you can have a child with her. And here comes Ishmael. And the rest is history. Because... God, as his very great reward, was not enough for him. We get him. (laughs) What else is there? Because there will be moments where we can try to do this stuff in our own strength. There's going to be things that are offered to us where we can try to figure things out in our own strength. And God is just inviting us to look up and to trust him and look at him, and behold him, and let him be enough for us. Psalms 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains from where my help comes from. My help is from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Your help is not a a carved image. Your help is not stone, wood, gold, or silver. Your help is not the stock market. Your help is not the governor or the president. Your help is nothing else but Jesus. He's your help. He's the king. He is the savior, the healer, the redeemer, the deliverer. He's the one who's your help. He's peace. He's joy. He is life eternal. What else help kind of help do you need? Is he enough?
You see, we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When everything else in our world is shaken because it can be shaken, we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken because we've received a king that is never shaken. In John chapter 1, verse 10, it says this, speaking of Jesus, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, say receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, when you come to a relationship with Jesus and you begin a relationship with him, you do not receive an idea, you do not receive a teaching, you do not receive a philosophy of man, you do not receive a graven image. You receive a person who is alive today and his name is Jesus. You receive him. You don't receive a prayer, you don't receive an altar call, you don't receive just a jad card, you don't receive a tool or a thing of this earth. You receive a person. And the problem is, a lot of people have received other things than Jesus, and yet they think they know him. If you've received him, it changes something. It must, so there, there must be a response. I just hear Grandma LaVon say this statement, and she's, she's about to enter into eternity, and I just keep hearing this. In Christ are all things. Help yourself. In Christ are all things. Help yourself. In Jesus, he is the treasure chest of heaven. Colossians chapter 2 says, In Christ are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What else do you need? He is the divine treasure chest. In, all, in Christ is all things. Help yourself. In our reception of Jesus, in receiving him, we receive all of who he is. He is not the divine consultant. He is Lord. So when you receive him, you receive him as Lord. You receive him as Savior. You receive him as King. You receive him as Healer, as Deliverer. You receive him as Peace. You receive him as Joy, as Life. Are you receiving him? Are you allowing him to be who he is in your life? Or is it just a philosophy, a teaching, a good idea, a good doctrine? In receiving him, you also receive his perfect and complete work. That work is what transforms you and makes you more like him. You see, you can't change you. You are incapable of changing you in your own strength. But when you receive him, you receive what he did on the cross and shedding of his blood and that perfect work and he's alive today. And so you receive him and his work and that allowing that work to have its root in your life is what causes you to become like him. It's a surrender. It's just, I am receiving you, Lord, because <laughs> you have received me. We must look up. We must lift up our eyes and look upon Jesus. I, I will never stop. I will never get tired of encouraging you, reminding you, exhorting you to look at Jesus. He is the solution for everything in mankind. He is the remedy. He is enough. 
And you will never be disappointed in putting your attention, your focus, and putting your pursuit on him and towards him. He alone will satisfy you. I want to go back to this passage in Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to just end here in this, this passage. And in a couple weeks when I share again, I'm going to pick this back up. But in the book of Colossians, Paul writes to the, to the city in Coloss, of Colossus, the Christians in Colossus. And he has heard about them, their faith and their love are well known. And their church is growing and it's becoming full of life. But they have become to be, they've begun to be distracted. They've began to be caught up in other things, other quote-unquote even spiritual things and things that they thought were good and all these different aspects of like angels or different philosophies of man and all these different things that were getting distracted. And Paul, the whole letter is Paul reminding them, hey, look at Jesus. Remember what he has done, how he has redeemed you. And oh, by the way, everything comes from him. Everything is unto him and everything is for him. He is everything. He is supreme. He did all of this so that he might be preeminent above all. Look at him. Continue on in the way that you receive the gospel and look at him is what Paul continues over and over to say in this book. And in chapter three, he says this to them, set your Hearts on things above. I'm going to start over. Uh, Verse 1. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Since you have received salvation, since you have received him, the person who is salvation, and you have received his perfect work in your life, and you have identified with his death in baptism, and you have been raised and identified with his resurrection, you have been raised with him, seated in heavenly places next to Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father. Why would you get consumed with all the temporal things that are nothing compared to him? Set your hearts on things above. That word, set your hearts, is actually one Greek word, though it is multiple English words. And that Greek word is the same Greek word used in Matthew 6.33 that says, seek first the kingdom of God. That word, those three words essentially are seek. Seek after that which is above. What is above? Jesus. He is the one who came from above, and he is the one who is above all. So when it says set your heart on things above, set your heart on him. (laughs) Seek him. Love him. Hunger for him. Pursue him with all that you have. See, your heart, in, in biblical culture, in biblical understanding, your heart and your mind have eyes. The Bible speaks of this. Often what our natural eyes look at is because our mind and our heart are focused on those things. And then we begin to look at them physically with our actual eyes. But there's, it starts with a a gaze of the heart. It starts with a focus of the mind. And Paul here is saying, set the eyes of your heart, set the eyes of your mind on him. What are your eyes dwelling on? You see, essentially, at the core of this verse, Paul is saying, love Jesus. Be in love with him. When you're in love, (laughs) 
Your, your eyes, your gaze are on the one that you are in love with. Your attention is on them. Your focus is on them. You can't stop thinking about them. You're captivated. Paul is saying be in love with him. What does it mean? When, when, if you are in love with him, it implies things. This is what it implies. It implies that you, number one, value him. It implies, number two, that you desire him. When you value him, that means he is at the center. He is first and foremost. He is your first love, not because first love meaning how you loved him when you first got saved, but first love meaning he is what you love first. He has preeminence. Colossians, one of the best parts of the whole book is that Christ is preeminent, supreme above all. Is he supreme above all in you? Is he preeminent above all in you? Does he sit on the throne of your heart? And if he does, you will value him and you will want to, you know, in a sense, submit everything in your life unto him. Everything in your life is subject to his approval. Everything in your life revolves around him. And he has say into every part of you because you are fully surrendered. And then if you desire him, you, you position and posture yourself to want to be with him and love what he loves more than anything else. And you want to just be with him. Do you wake up in the morning excited for a new day to have another time to be with him? When you think about him for too long, does your heart get so soft you begin to weep and cry? Is there a tenderness inside of you when you just begin to think about him? When you're in his presence and you can tangibly feel his presence, does it begin to overwhelm you and you can't even speak? It's even hard to breathe. This shows that you love him because there is a desire inside of you that you just want him above everything else. Spending time alone with Jesus does not become, is not a struggle when you desire him. When you value him. If you love him, it implies that you love what he loves and you hate what he hates. This means that you, or this means that he means more to you than yourself means to you. It means that you give him your attention. Psalms 27, verse 4. I don't know if I have a favorite verse, but this is one of the favorites. It's hard to narrow it down to one. Psalms 27, 4. One thing. This is David's cry. This is... This is our cry here as a church family at the Promised Church. One thing we ask, one thing do we desire, one thing do we seek, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him or inquire of him in his temple. This must be our one thing. This must be what our heart is set on. This must be what we are seeking, him. To be with him, to dwell with him, to gaze upon him, to, to listen to his voice. We must simplify our lives down. We talked about rest the last couple weeks. That an invitation to rest is simply an invitation to simplify your life down to what is most important. 
Rest is very hard to find when you are cluttered with a bunch of stuff that is not essential. Simplify your life with Jesus to one thing. Gaze upon his face. One thing to seek after. Him. His face. To be with him. To know him more. The idea of seek. That word seek means to purpose my energy towards. To gaze means to contemplate with pleasure. This place of an inner focus on the Lord. I just want to pull back the curtain, I guess, a moment. I know I talk about some of these things a lot of times and use lots of different terms and phrases, and you're like, that's awesome, and I feel the invitation. What does that look like? Practically. How, how do I do that? I would encourage you to set time aside, starting out, time aside to be alone with Jesus. Undistracted time, where you're not driving, when you're not busy with a bunch of tasks and things, and just trying to maintain a focus on him while you're doing other things, you know, getting ready for work in the morning, showering, fixing breakfast. That, that, there is space for that. There, there is room for that in our lives where we are focused on the Lord in the, in the midst of activity. But that focus comes from being alone with him, undistracted first. And then you carry that time alone with him into the rest of the things that you would do. That's called abiding. In the midst of activity, your focus is on the Lord. But there must be a moment of inactivity where you are alone with him and he becomes all of your focus. So whatever that looks like for you, I sit down during that time. I'm either on my knees or I sit down. I had one request when when we moved into our new house. We have an office in that room. I said, honey, I just want a rug that is soft enough that I can kneel on and my knees don't hurt. I want a rug soft enough that I can sit on and be with the Lord and my bottom doesn't fall asleep. So that's what I got. (laughs) That was the only thing I wanted. (laughs) The rest of it was up to her. (sighs) I just sit there and I worship him. And I sit there in silence and listen to him. And then, praise God, I get some coffee. And I take a deep breath. And I open up the word. And from a place of rest and being in his presence, I say, Lord, speak to me in your word. And I read the scriptures. And I don't read it to check a box to get like three chapters in for the day. I read it to connect with him. So maybe I only read three verses. Maybe I read three chapters, but it's to connect with him. That takes time. I mean, yes, it can be accomplished in 20 minutes, but it takes time. It takes focus. It takes prioritizing what's most important in your life. And I want to end with this thought. As you focus on him, 
as he becomes your one thing, all of a sudden you fall in love with him and there's an overflow that should begin to flow in you that causes you to begin to see what he's also looking at, which is the people around us, which is the people in our lives that don't know the Lord. This is why Jesus and and the scriptures and his heart is so wonderful and beautiful. He says, love me with all that you have, with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. He attaches the two together. And so this is what Jesus says in multiple places. I just want to end with this thought because I, I, I know you're feeling that pull to the Lord. And as you respond to that pull, he is going to cause a pull inside of you for others. And don't ignore that pull just because you're responding to the first one. Luke chapter 5. Jesus answered saying, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. And then I read this earlier, but I'm going to read it one more time. John 4.35, do, do you not say, do you not have a perspective? Do you not have a saying? Do you not have a mindset that the harvest is four months off? That the harvest is a long ways away. But behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. For they are ripe for harvest. Jesus never told us to pray for the harvest fields. He told us to pray for laborers to go out into the ripe harvest. And we have reserved ourselves to a comfort zone far too long and for far too many times. There is an intensity to Jesus that I feel right now. It's an intensity of his heart to draw you to him, for you to know him and be captivated by him, and for you to stop getting distracted with all the junk that's going on in our world. I'm telling you that the junk isn't going to get less. It's going to get dark. And it's going to get a lot brighter too. Wheat and the tares, baby. You want my end times philosophy on what is going to happen? Wheat and tares. It's going to get dark and it's going to get light. There's not going to be a middle ground. There's not going to be a a gray area. It's going to be one or the other. Jesus said you're either for me or you're against me. There's no casual Christianity. There's no comfortable Christianity. It's called religion. And you know what Jesus rebuked the most? It was religion. It was reserving yourself in a place of fear because you were uncomfortable. That's what we call American Christianity and it's a lie and it's garbage and it's religion and it doesn't bring life. This is why America is where it's at because we played in religion for far too long. Jesus came meekly and humbly on a donkey, riding into Jerusalem peacefully. But I'm telling you, the next time he comes back, he ain't riding a donkey. He's riding a great white horse, and he's going to have an iron rod in his hand, and his eyes are flaming fire. And he's going to come and wage war on his enemies. And I'm telling you, are you ready to meet that Jesus? Have you received him? This is who he is. 
When you receive him, you don't get to choose what Jesus you receive. You receive him. And he determines who he is. Because he's God. He's not a good teacher. Though he was the best. (laughs) He's God. The reason why he said things about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's because he was God. And when he is God, it demands a response. You either reject him and say, you're crazy. I'm going to do my own thing. I can't do this anymore. Or you say, I will bow. You are in charge. We can't play church. We can't play games. I'm telling you, God wants to pour out a revival that will blow our minds. But if your mind is in control, then you will not like what happens because it's not what you're wanting or what you're used to or what you're comfortable with. We could pray for revival every day, and then when it actually comes, we go, that's not how I thought it was going to happen. It's messy. It requires us to disciple people that are messy. What else do we have to live for? What else is there? Him. His, he, he's everything. And then he says, hey, love those around you. Disciple, make disciples. Uh, it doesn't matter who the governor is. It doesn't matter who the president is, if he's Democrat or Republican. The mission has not changed. The call has not changed. It has not stopped. It has not moved. Go and make disciples. Take the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. It hasn't changed. But if your eyes are on something else, they need to turn to Jesus. A president isn't going to save you. A policy isn't going to change anything. It's him. Let's all stand. I feel the Lord wants to bring freedom to people in this room. He wants to bring freedom from anxiety. Some of you came in today and you were like, is this the last time I'm going to be able to go to church in a couple weeks? What's going to happen? I'm, I'm worried. I'm, I'm fearful of what's going to happen. Should I have Thanksgiving with my family? What should I do? As your pastor, I will never tell you to violate what the Holy Spirit tells you. So that means you should ask him what you should do. But do I think being with family for Thanksgiving is really important. Yes, I do. Will I be with all of my family on Thanksgiving? Yes, I will. There's gonna be days where you have to choose, will I honor God or will I honor man? Light and dark. It's going to be real. Lift up your eyes. I'm telling you, when you lift up your eyes and you see him, you're not focused on all the dark. You're not focused on all the distractions. You're not focused on all the noise and chaos and all the storm. 
We're in like 35 degree weather and wind and rain and we're freezing. I couldn't feel my toes for like two hours. I was shaking in my bones. But man, worshiping the Lord in that moment was one of the best moments of my life because I had my eyes on something else, on Jesus. Lift up your eyes. So if you're here and you need freedom in your heart and in your mind, you came in worried and troubled by many things. Only one thing is needed, and it's to sit at his feet and sit and look at the one who is enthroned in heaven. You see, when you worship at the footstool of Jesus and you're sitting at his feet, you have to look up. If you ask you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you paid for on the cross. And I plead your blood over every troubled mind, over every worried heart in this room. I rebuke and cast out every spirit of fear and anxiety and worry and depression in Jesus' name. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that your perfect love drives out every fear. So Lord, I ask right now that you would drive out all fear from us, the fear of man, the fear of the future, the fear of of what's going to happen in our world, what's going to happen in America. Drive that fear out, Lord, and I ask, God, that these ones that raise their hand would experience your presence right now. They would see your love. They would feel your love. They would see your face, that it's smiling, that it's joyful, that it's laughing. God, that you are so happy. God, that they would experience your presence, and in your presence is fullness of joy. Freedom in this place, Lord. We have received you, and you are freedom. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless these ones here, Lord. I ask, God, that we would go in peace. And, Lord, God, as our eyes are fixed on you, Lord, that you would help us to see the ones around us that need you. And, Lord, God, that our hearts would burn for them to know you. And, Lord, we would just be simply obedient to whatever you would ask us to do. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are and all that you've done. And we give you glory and honor and praise. It's all about you. It will always be about you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.